Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote unquote summer body as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury free and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. I love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, you have been in the news a lot lately. I'm like, every time I open up my uh, digital periodicals, I feel like there's another Alyssa Gadeski feature. I think we have Triathlete Magazine, Trail Runner Magazine. Uh, we're on the women's performance podcast. Are you just like running the media circuit these days? Yeah. You know, I'm just putting in my time <laughs> talking to all my fans. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, that's how I feel like it always happens, right? It's like it all comes at once, which is great. And, um, the women's performance podcast, I talked to Sarah for last yesterday about, or not, I mean, last week, my mind is like clearly mushy after doing all of this, all of this press. Um, but we, yeah, we talked last week about mental toughness. And so that was really fun. And it actually did align really well with an article that came out, um, in trail runner magazine about the FKTs that I had done. And then I don't know what the relationship is with like trail runner and triathlete, but they're like connected. So then 
trail runner, um, you know, Bethany was with trail runner and she wrote the article for trail runner. And then triathlete, I guess, got wind that like, Oh, we're connected to trail runner and Alyssa's a triathlete. So our audience might like it too. So then they started running it, which was cool. Um, and so, yeah, I've had, had a good week. I feel like I got a good response from that. I was actually down in West Virginia this weekend, um, with Matt, we were doing a navigation race down there and, um, some of my adventure racing friends and people I didn't know at that race said they saw the article and, um, it's, it was a good way to kind of, you know, meet some new faces in that community as well. So I always, always appreciate some good press. I have to say. Yeah. Um, I know, I know I, uh, I was going to say, I think you, I, I don't know if I should call you out, but you alluded to some big plans for 2024. <laughs> and I mean, I feel like we haven't talked that much about like, I mean, like, I don't know if you want to talk about this. I probably should have prefaced this off. No, the air, but I, like, this is good. Yeah. Retirement from triathlon. I mean, do you consider yourself officially retired? It, it felt like it in the articles. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I don't see myself coming back to race Ironman professionally. Like I would be shocked, honestly, if I, if I did, um, I technically have a pro license like through this December. Um, but I, you know, initially, so, I mean, there, it could happen, like it's not off the table, but it's not on the table at this point. Um, but you know, my initial plan, like in my head, if you would ask me a year ago, was that 2023 was going to be a year where I was going to try and um, set an FKT on the Appalachian Trail. And so I had kind of gone through the year thinking that, had started doing some like preliminary planning, finished my season, did some recovery. And then I started to really dig into the planning and all of that. And, um, I mean, Haley, you know how this goes as much as like any of the other pros out there, the end of the year is also a time when you're finding out about sponsors and like what's on board for next year and what's not. And I had just had a really great season. So I was kind of like hedging my bets that support would be similar. And, um, you know, unfortunately I did lose like a big chunk of support, um, financially for this year from, from sponsors. And so, it was, that was definitely a big part of it for me. Um, because I, I mean, taking on something like the Appalachian trail is a huge (laughs) financial undertaking to do it. Um, you know, to give it the, the effort I would want to put into it. Right. And so that made me kind of pause and rethink along with, honestly, I just didn't feel like mentally everything was coming together to put it all together. It just, it didn't feel right. And, you know, as, as weird as it may sound to some people, I feel very strongly that like, I have to feel like it has to feel right to get me doing everything that's required to do something like that. Right. For every one of my FKTs, like my whole heart has to be in it and my whole mind has to be in it to like really go through that whole process. And I just didn't have that. And so with all of those things, and then you know, the opportunity to race one water kind of popped into my, my DMS from, from Jared Shoemaker. And so, you know, I felt, I felt like I was excited to do that. And I felt like that felt a lot more right than anything I was trying to force out with the Appalachian trail and anything else. And I just, you know, I, it's, it's being a professional athlete is like such a, it's a weird, (laughs) weird profession at times. Right. And so, um, that just really, got me recentered, got me like refocused and has just felt right. 
Um, but yeah, when I was talking to Bethany about the article, we talked about what could be next. And I, I will say that, you know, the AT is, is definitely still on my mind. Like I haven't completely written it off, but I, you know, if there's companies out there who would like to come on board and support me for this, then we should definitely talk because I mean, I think at this point, that's one of like the big pieces of, pu- of the puzzle that I would have to put together to get me to go back down that road. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm very content Haley, like with the things that I feel like my career has done both in triathlon and FKTs. And so, you know, I, and maybe that's part of the problem too, is like, I'm just really happy with I've done with what I've done. And I don't have that fire to like hustle around and get the money and to like you go just into the red some better weather. This, right? I'm telling so. you this, it's because it's February. You need some better weather. Maybe set up a GoFundMe. We have a whole year. I, I mean, we can do this. I mean, it's not a terrible idea, but yeah. So, it, you know, it is in the back of my head. I, I won't say I'm like retired from high level kind of racing or like, FKT attempts or something until I really strike that off the table. But, um, Ironman certainly isn't fitting into those plans, but I do think Xterra could fit into my plans for the next, you know, the shorter term. Um, I, I, I definitely would like to see myself on an Xterra start line and, um, just kind of see how that goes. But, um, you know, no major plans for that either. One water is, is definitely the, the one water focus. looks big enough. I watched the video. Yeah. <laughs> That is not a small undertaking. It doesn't have like a nice, like label. I think like some of the other races that we've seen you do and we do over the years, but it looks very hard. Yeah. (laughs) I think you're going to get your like rush from that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You see like all of Sweden. So the entire coast line. watch out for uh. those DMS kids <laughs> never know. You never know what's going to pop in there. Um, but congratulations on all the press. And I, I like the little, like, like teasing it out there. I mean, it's, you have plenty of time. You have plenty of time, you know, 2024, whenever, I mean, we've seen, we've seen what happens with some of these FKTs and I think you have plenty of time, but it's exciting and it's cool. And, um, I like the, I like the thought of it. And I mean, like I said, I'll set up that GoFundMe. Um, but I did, I, I saw the press release this morning going back to, uh, to professional triathlon and, um, the press release this morning about the PTO European open being in Ibiza. 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 <laughs> Ibiza. Ibiza. I mean, if anyone can read that without like thinking of the song, um, then I commend you because I was, I mean, I am, wait, which song, like, which song like the, do you I think took of? a pill in Ibiza, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Are there other songs about Ibiza? And it's well, just like, yeah, that's like, what's the, um, I also think of the Netflix. Is it the, um, what is the like really popular, Netflix documentary on the woman who like scammed all the rich people out of their money. Did you watch that? Oh, Anna I missed that one. something. Oh, and, that like Anna Delvey. Yeah, yes. And she, she goes to Ibiza at one point. And so that was like the other thing I that like went through my mind was I was like, oh my God, they're gonna have so much fun. Like maybe I should get into triathlon and t- try and be in the top 20 and go to Ibiza so I can race and then have so much fun at well, this like club that I'm just imagining me- all these pro triathletes at after the <laughs> It reminds me of Fiona Moriarty when she came on and she talked about doing an IT race there and like everything went wrong. And she was like, got like her car towed. And so I feel like, I don't know, but, um, that is happening in May. And, um, I think they also said that the top 
the top 30 are eligible for the automatic entries for both that European Open and the US Open, which did we talk about this? Like I, oh, I talked about with Danny Lewis that like I recently moved up to 37th, which yeah. I was very excited about because previously the top 40 got invites into that. So, so we have seven more sp- rungs to climb Haley. I don't think that's going to happen. I do. I think you've got this. No, <laughs> I don't know. No I don't have a lot of, a. um, I don't know. We'll see. But, um, I was, I was like, it's the highs and lows of, uh, you know, last week I was like riding this high thinking maybe I was going to get to go race in Milwaukee. And then now I'm like back. Just okay. hold your breath for Ibiza. So, okay. I can't go to Milwaukee. Ibiza, oh, I'm going to Shoot. go see Taylor Swift that weekend. <laughs> priorities <laughs> we're taking a pill okay, in nashville yeah <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh yeah no different card of party but um and those tickets caught like took my soul to get so yeah, yeah um, you gotta go i would have possibly that. loved to go to milwaukee but i i don't yeah top 30 is a little hard and also top 50 now for that year-end bonus still two million dollars but you have to i like barely snuck into the top 50 i was 50th um at the end of 2022 under the old rankings. And, um, I'm like, Ooh, cause I, I did get a little bonus when I was top 100 and it did help a lot. And so curious to see, I finally got like a screenshot of the payout and now it's going to change. And so I'm like, great. Now I don't know. I'm curious to see how that money is going to be divvied up between the top 50. I mean, someone's going to be getting a lot of money, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are no. we, do we think like first is getting a ton and <laughs> I, uh, well, so then I, I saw like first already got a hundred grand. I guess they're saying that really, I think it will be, I guess if I was going to bet, I would bet it's going to be spread out because I think I saw, and I don't know who this was that their reasoning was trying to give more to that top 50 that they think needs to like have the more support for the sport and things like that. So I would hope that it's kind of spread out, but who knows? I mean, your guess is as good as mine, I guess. So we'll, we'll find out and we'll let our listeners know. I am. <laughs> I want to know see how, this how plays much out. money everyone gets this year. <laughs> well, it is. It's very, I think it's super interesting. And, um, you know, because we do have a few people at the top who are making decent livings and, um, wish I was one of them. I know. <laughs> so- I mean, then I would, I would, I would contribute to your GoFundMe. Oh, for the Appalachian I show. would put your face on t-shirts and the van, you know, like what all is of the that cost stuff? of that? I might I mean, start my yeah. own like little savings account for that. <laughs> How amazing would that be if you had to rent one t-shirt? There's a t-shirt of Haley's face on me every day. That would be amazing. I mean, this might be the GoFundMe because I feel like we might have enough fans that would think that was hilarious. Dynamo would definitely fully fund this if I was oh, running. Oh, you're like gonna wear green and yellow. Yeah. You, you're gonna be so green and yellow. I like this thought process. This could be amazing. Um, okay, one other thing I saw this weekend that I wanted to bring up was. I, I actually caught the finish of the Daytona 500, like the car race, NASCAR race, which I have never uh, maybe really in my life watched before, but because I have been to that, that racetrack, I was like, Oh, I want to see what happens. And I just wanted to see what it looked like with, you know, cars on it, which I know is it's like natural state of being, but it was wild. It was like very wild. And it kind of, I wish I had like probably either my sister or my friend, Steph, like people who know a lot about sports who would kind of explain to me what was happening. Um, I guess Shannon Spake was on the broadcast and like, you know, they kind of know, but I, I feel like it's when I watched the Super Bowl, similar where I was like, something just happened, but I have like, and they're the winners, but that was like, 
okay, I guess they won. Right. <laughs> it was There was a crash right before the finish at the oh. Daytona 500. And so they kind of won like on a caution, like okay. on the crash. And so it was something like a that. Little less but, anti, or a little more anticlimactic. I mean, they were still celebrating a lot. So I think oh, it was pretty okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, anyway, I just, it was kind of cool. I had a different appreciation for that having raced there. And since I am headed to Miami in a few weeks, um, you know, still very nervous about that, but I'm like, maybe I'm into NASCAR now. Yeah. Can I, like officially say that. Cause I watched like, like a minute yes. <laughs> of a four hour race. <laughs> yes. You definitely can own that now. You're a fan. You're a true fan. A fan. And I feel like actually car racing is like probably like those kinds of races are great for trainer material. So now you just need to keep up with it because they go on for a really long time. So you can just, and it's, bike true. And it's like watch. endurance sport. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. there's a lot going on. I, I definitely before racing, you know, in Watkins Glen, the class races and Watkins Glen and Daytona, I did not have the appreciation for NASCAR that it deserves. So I'm getting there. I'm getting there. There's always more to learn. I love it. And Haley, the one other thing I have from this week, that's very exciting is that we have a new sponsor on board for Iron Women podcast and VJ Shoes, which is also a personal sponsor of mine. I have been wearing these trail running shoes since 2020. Um, and I love them. And so Haley, hopefully we can get you to try them out. Oh, I, know you're not I feel like I need trail. it for my, how are they in the snow? Well, I was going to say, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I feel like we should be getting you the ice heroes because oh, they have the studs built in, which would be hero. amazing. Yeah. And so <sighs> it's like their trail runner shoe, but then it has like the little studs or yeah. whatever, you know, spikes. And so they're amazing. Like whenever I think I'm going to be slipping around, um, when it's kind of, you know, snowy ish, or like there's that layer of ice under the dusting of snow, like they're a really good shoe for that. Um, but then their trail runners are also really great. I mean, I probably like could not have set <laughs> the last F2 FKTs that I did without them because the confidence I get from wearing those shoes on the terrain that I was on for the FKTs is like so high because you know, you, you just don't slip. Like, I mean, obviously some rocks are still going to be slippery no matter what you have on your feet, but a lot of them, it does make a big difference what you have on your feet and you won't slip if you have the good stuff and VJ shoes are definitely the good stuff. So I am really excited that they are coming on board and super cool. Yeah. People can feel free to ask me other questions about them. Just keep sliding into my DMS people. And, um, but or writing to our mailbag. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Actually definitely right into our mailbag. Um, more about that in one second after I tell you all the code. The code is Feisty VJ, capital F, capital V and J. Feisty VJ for Just the letter, the letter V and the letter J. Correct. For $20 off a pair of shoes at VJShoesUSA.com forward slash pages forward slash feisty. We will put it all in the show notes, people. Um, they're great trail runners and slippery winter shoes. I mean, traction is everything. Like it can help prevent a lot of injuries. And I mean, I feel like that's like how, how you're able to run in certain terrain where you run, especially. And, um, I mean, it, it's fun. It's fun. If you have like confidence in where your foot lands. Yeah, no, it it really is a game changer. Um, and so speaking of the mailbag, Haley, I opened the mailbag today. And empty. it was empty. No. <laughs> so sad. Wait, you guys empty. I get so excited when I click in my Gmail. I'm like, let me check the other Gmail. And I like click over and then 
some, well, now the Zoom recordings go to the email to tell me the Zoom recordings are uploaded or whatever. So, you know, I always have new ones. And so I get so excited. I'm like, oh, it's just the Zoom recordings again. It's not new mailbag questions. So folks, send us your shoe questions, send us your kit questions, send us your bike questions, (laughs) send us your racing training life personal questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to have some mailbags in the coming weeks for everyone. Yeah, but we do have a great interview. So we get excited for this one. This one is a little near and dear to my heart because full disclosure, we are talking to one of my coached athletes, Tiencia James this week. And Tiencia is an age group athlete. She's from Atlanta, Georgia. She grew up running and she swam a little bit in high school and she picked up triathlon while she was working as an emergency room physician in the Atlanta area, which is where our paths crossed lucky for me. And over the past eight years, Tiencia has just steadily moved through the age group ranks. She's raced everything from local triathlons to world championships across the globe. And most recently she did race in the Ironman world championships in Hawaii. So she tells us about that experience. She also recently started a triathlon coaching business. So you can hear more about that new venture and everything else in our full conversation right after the break. Hi, Tiencia. Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, full disclosure, I think we, we probably said this in the intro, but I am your coach and I am going to like out you on some of your early season racing here because I know it happened. And I do admire you because I think you are, you're an athlete who can get into a race, can line up for a race at any time of the year. And I believe you've already done two so far this year in January, you did two running races. Can you tell us about them? Cause I think they're pretty, pretty cool ones. Um, so typically in the beginning of the season, I usually like to start it with something light, something that's a little more fun um, as opposed to something being focused on time or place. So the first thing I did was the hog pin hill climb, which is kind of an Atlanta tradition. Just something light where you're just <laughs> running up the giant hill. <laughs> uh, the, the funny thing about like doing a hill race is it, it prevents you from trying to maintain any pace. Um, because at one point, you know, you, your pace can go up because you're going uphill. You can't really tell if you're doing good or bad. So you just go by effort. And that kind of relieves you of that pressure of trying to hit a certain, you know, time. And you won for like, I think it's like the fifth year in a row or something. I mean, maybe there was a pandemic year where we like didn't have it, but you are the queen of the hog pen hill climb. I guess I'll accept that title. I did get beat by someone maybe a couple of years ago, but it's always a battle to the end to see like who doesn't blow up the worst because everybody is just slowing down. So, so yeah, I'll take it. And one of the reasons why I love this race so much, which is, which is weird, is because they're prized. They give this really nice mug which I love to drink, like me and the kids fight over who gets to drink, you know, tea or hot chocolate from. So I got a really nice mug this year. Oh, I love it. That does make it worth it. I'm very curious to hear what the other so-called light, (laughs) no pressure race would be in January that you did. Um, The other one I did was a dog run. So it's actually a run with the dogs 5k here. And I've done a couple of races with my dog. I have a German short hair pointer and his name is Pacer. Um, I got him specifically because I wanted a running partner and I run at all hours of night and I needed someone who kind of looked the part of protection, but he is awesome to um, run with. So they have this race. Not all the runners will run with dogs, but I did. And it's, it's always really fun because you can't stick to any kind of race plan. It all depends on what your dog is going to do. 
And so this time we kind of made a mistake when we started. Um, they had a poll by the by the start area. And when they said go, Pacer went one way, I went the other, and we actually split the poll, which no. anybody who runs with a dog is like rookie mistake. And so somebody had to grab him and then I had to stop and unhook him. And meanwhile, the entire race has left which is not a big deal. But once we got hooked back together, Pacer didn't like the fact that we were way back. So he starts sprinting. And so um, definitely not ideal pacing. <laughs> Wait, what was your time? Let us know what your time was here. I don't even remember. I'd have to look it up. I feel like it was, I, I don't even know. You probably can see my training peak somewhere. Um, I got, I got it. I got it. I think it was like 21 minutes. I mean, oh my gosh. fast. Yeah. Normally when I run, I start off, you know, easy and then increase the pressure, but this is like starting off at a 400 meter sprint <laughs> and, and then trying to settle in pace. And you're actually running forward, but you're trying to pull back because he wants to go faster than you want to go. So, um, it, it, it was a blast. It was a blast. It definitely takes your mind off of the actual racing part. Um, okay. and a great time. I love it. That is definitely a good January season race. I could get behind. Um, and Tiencia, you raced in Kona last October. And so you obviously know how to peak for big races. So how did you kind of manage those expectations? Like, how's your mindset different when you're lining up for the, these January races? Right. And like, you know, you're running with your dog, but you still kind of probably want to get the good effort in and run fast, right. And not disappoint yourself. So like, how does that change when it's this time of year for you? Um, when I have a race that I'm peaking for, um, uh, definitely Haley and I, we have more specific goals that I'm actually shooting for. You know, I have paces and powers and efforts that I'm attempting to hit. Whereas in the beginning of the season, I just let myself kind of go by feel and not get so attached to the outcome. And I think these are kind of fun challenges. Like I can see where Hogpen, you know, hill climb, I've, I've done it a few times myself and it's, I, it is like a fun challenge that you feel really good if you just make it to the top, like however it happens. And it sounds like the dog race. I have never done a race with my dog, but like if I cross that finish line, I'd be very proud of us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the effort's no different. These are really hard races. I think what makes them easy versus hard is the mental energy and stress you have going into it, um, which is huge. So just not having the pressure on yourself for any particular outcome is awesome. Tiancia, I know you've been an athlete for quite a while, like most of your life. I think you swam in high school. You ran cross country while you were in college at Stanford, I believe. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your sports background? So I started um, running very early on, um, and a lot of it had to do a lot with my dad. So uh, my dad was uh, what I would call an obsessive <laughs> runner. Um, he used to coach uh, cross country and track at one point when he was a teacher, and then he just started to do it. And he was never Olympic level, but he wanted to be competitive. So I think at his peak, he was running at 40 years old, you know, 16 minute 5K. Um, however, it was obsessive, I think, um, in a negative way. It took him away from the family a lot. And so when I was younger, probably about six years old, my parents got a divorce and I realized we only would see my dad every other weekend. That was the custody arrangement at that time. Um, but I figured out that, wow, if I run with him, I could see him almost every day. I can go on trips on the weekends to these different races. So um, when I started running, I didn't want to run. It's not like I thought I was going to be an athlete or even liked it. It was all for that ulterior motive. And then my dad was also very cheap 
and we never really had a lot of money growing up. So as a kid in my house, everybody, you know, got pay less shoes. You know, we go to the thrift shop and shop. But if you were a runner, he would actually splurge and get you a Nike or Adidas because he really felt strongly that you had to have good shoes. So I, I figured it out. And so early on, um, I would run with him. He was part of a, a running group, um, South Cap Striders, Atlanta Sub 40. And I would run with all these 30 and 40 year old uh, people who were pretty competitive. And that was really my intro into endurance sport. And through that, I really started to just love it. Just, you know, love the community, love how it made me feel. And what about swimming? How did you, you know, were you kind of like a, a childhood swimmer and then you competed in high school or did you just find that in high school? Well, I would call myself the opposite of a childhood swimmer. Um, I had many near-death experiences in the water uh, because I didn't know how to swim. And when I went to high school, uh, believe it or not, this was a high school indicator. It was one of the few that actually had a pool. And I just decided, you know, I just need to learn how to swim. So I joined the swim team in my high school and didn't know how to swim. So I still remember my first swim meet, um, you know, they taught me how to swim and how to do the stroke. And I got up on the block and I forget what race I was swimming and they said go and the little boop went off, all the athletes jumped in the water and I was still there on the block. <laughs> and my coach came and she actually took her foot and she shoved me from my butt into the water <laughs> and that wow. was getting in the pool. So I survived. I did accomplish a lot. I did learn how to do a stroke. I never considered myself like a competitive swimmer. I never made it to state or anything like that, but I did make it up and down the pool. <laughs> you swam the 500, I think, because I, I feel did. like. Yeah, I did. I was a distance runner. So they assumed because I like to go long that, of course, I'd like to do the longer swim race, um, which was not the case. But that was the event that I did. And I don't know how it was when you guys were younger, if you did swimming, but for us, it was the least popular event. So it wasn't like a bunch of people swimming the 500. I swam the 500 in high school too, because no one else wanted to do it. But <laughs> I think when you told me this, this was like one of our very first conversations. I was, when you said you swam the 500, I was like, that is a special type of person. She's going to be fine. You're going to do great in Ironman. <laughs> I like to go long. So, <laughs> and so what about triathlon? When did that enter the picture for you? So that was much later. So, you know, I swam a little in high school and then that was it. Like no swimming. I never biked. Um, I did run cross country and track my first year and a half of college before I dropped that. But I always kept running. And so um, probably in my 20s and my 30s, I was doing 10Ks, 5Ks. I started doing marathons. And after I had my second kid, I just kind of wanted something different. And the one thing I really was drawn to with triathlon is because you have like the open water swim and you have, you know, all these miles of biking, they're really in like these scenic places. So it's different than road races. Every race was kind of like an adventure. So I was drawn to that part of it. And probably in my mid thirties is when I started triathlon. Yeah. And so I was looking back at, I have, I do have the luxury of looking at your training peaks account and I was looking back to 2014, which I think is when we started together. And I was kind of struck by how you grew into the sport. And I think a lot of your first races were local races, try the parks sprints and Olympic distance, which for our listeners are, 
are these great local races in the Atlanta and Georgia area at a lot of the parks, um, like regional parks around there. Mm -hmm. And I think your very first Ironman distance race was the great Floridian. So now that you have have the experience that you have, and you've raced basically every kind of race that there is, what do you think about your, your start kind of getting started with on the local scene? You know, I think that is awesome. So, you know, I do like the bigger races, the Ironman races, you can qualify for the championships, but um, I think there's a lot of support for new athletes at some of the smaller events. I believe even um, my first sprint, they had a special start for first timers. So, you know, obviously for me, my biggest fear and anxiety provoking moment was jumping in and having all these people flail around in the water. So that was very comforting. Um, to come in as a mother with kids and and other people with you, a lot of the smaller races, they allow your family to be a much more, you know, closer to the race, they can be on course, they can high five you, and that kind of thing. So that was nice to have that support, especially early on. Yeah. And one other thing I think from your training piece is like, I've always admired just, I, I, how you've managed, managed to make this work. You worked as an ER doctor, you were working at the time and you mentioned running at all hours of the night with Pacer. Um, so do you have like tips for people? Cause I actually do coach other people who work, you know, shift work overnights in various professions, um, for managing that because I think you you did that so well for so many years. Um, I think it just takes a lot of planning um, to put your workouts in a, a place in your schedule where you can not only do the workouts, but you can recover for, from them. And that was really key. I think when you do shift work, especially in the beginning, you're trying to figure this out. You just focus on, okay, when can I get this workout in? And like sometimes I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I would do my 16 mile run. And then I go into the hospital at, you know, six o'clock, still sweating from the workout, you know, and although you feel really good and accomplished that, yes, I did my workout. I'm not doing the the post-workout nutrition, you know, I'm, I'm probably not getting the best recovery. So I think as I started to do it a little more, I started to plan that better and move things around so I could do the workout, but I could also sleep and I could make sure I could eat. Um, but it is definitely a challenge. I actually think for me now that, you know, I'm not doing as much um, in terms of working in that regard, that it's easier when you have a lot of stuff in your schedule because you have to plan it and you just have that opportunity to do it. If I have my entire day off, I feel like I tend to procrastinate and, oh, I'll do it later. And, oh, now I'm hungry. I got to eat something. Okay, now I can't run because I just ate. And before you know it, it's like 10 o'clock and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to do this workout. So just to plan it and, and have it there and just like, you know, a shift or work, you just do it and don't really get too caught up in how it feels. If it's good or bad, just get it done. That's great advice. I think for people working shift work or not, (laughs) you know, even still, um, and TNCA 2014, wasn't that long ago, but a lot has changed in training and gear since then. So when you think about things like smart trainers, power meters, goggles that count your laps for you, carbon platers, carbon plated shoes, are you ever like, you know, kind of nostalgic for the early days when it was local races and kind of, you know, low-key gear that went with it? <laughs> you know, I like gear as, as much as the next triathlete. And, you know, Haley knows I've bought all kinds of gadgets. But honestly, like now having been in the sport for a long time, I think the thing that really makes you better is 
the simple stuff that's free, which is just getting out there. <laughs> you know, um, I have some gadgets that I bought. I use it a couple of times and then I don't use it because I forget to charge it or this will die and, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I like gadgets, but I honestly don't think it takes all of that to do well. Um, I started doing really well even before I upgraded my bike, before I got, you know, the fancy power meter. So, Piencia, there's a story I'd love to share, and I think it really encompasses who you are as an athlete and as a person. And so I was thinking of this time uh, when I think you were driving from Atlanta to Chattanooga, you were going to check in for Ironman Chattanooga. You've been training for this race for like an entire year. And I get this phone call for, from you asking, um, you know, when check-in closes, because I think you had just come off a shift to the hospital. You were trying to get up there and you were stuck in traffic. Do you remember that moment? Oh, I remember that moment, uh, really well. <laughs> well, here's how I remember it. I remember it that you were like shockingly calm. Cause I am like thinking of, I was in this moment where I'm like, had been training for this race and I might not get to like check in um because of traffic of all things I would have been like you know like I don't know like crying freaking out and you were calm and you were just like okay let's find out if it's in a building or if it's in a tent you know is there parking like that kind of thing you're like ask me like very very clear questions and I think we found out it was in a tent and you're like it's fine and you're like they'll let me in no, I mean, it, I remember that day because there's a little bit more of a backstory that I don't know if you knew about that day. So I had gotten off of a night shift, which I knew I had the car packed. I was going to leave at a certain time. And I had a cop come to my door that morning and serve me with a malpractice case. Right. Oh, no. So that's what delayed me from being able to leave. So then after dealing with that whole thing, like the cop coming and like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, then I had to get in the car and drive to this race and um, the, the interesting thing about being an emergency physician, there are good and bad about that, but, you know, we all laugh and joke with each other. Like our big thing is like, at least nobody died. Like that's, <laughs> that's the mantra of working in the ED. So when it comes to triathlon, like in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, you know, in the scheme of everything else that's going on, like, this is not the biggest thing that I need to be worried about. So I'll just figure it out. And it, it totally worked out, you know, and you made it, you did the race. And I do think, I think about you a lot because I've seen you do this when you've gotten flat tires in races and you fix it and you move on. So, I mean, it does seem like that helps you in your, your athletic life as well. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely at work, but in races in life, a lot of it is just problem solving. And looking back at my races, like none of them have been perfect. And even the better races were semi disasters in the middle of it, you know? And so you can never really judge how something's going on un until the end. Um, I remember I did Ironman uh, St. Croix the last time they had that race and I had several flat tires because of the potholes that they had there. And then there was this one big hill that my main thing was, I am going to get up this hill. I had these virtual courses that I was practicing, you know, to get up the beast. And I got to the hill. And at one point, like my heart rate was like, you know, almost my max 170, which is unheard of on the bike. And people were uh, walking next to me going faster than I was on the bike. That's how slow I was going. I thought I was going to fall over. And so I had to unclip and it's the first time in a race that I had to unclip and I was feeling very defeated. I was walking and, and that kind of thing. And that race, I ended up making the podium in my age group um, because I got back into it and I had an amazing run. 
So it's never really over until it's over. So I always try when things are going sideways to just say, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And, and just keep moving forward and see what happens. It's really good, really good lessons that I think people can take to heart. And, you know, I think it's becoming clear to people that you have vast racing experience. You've com competed in several Ironmans, the 70.3 world championship multiple times, and most recently the Ironman world championships in Hawaii. And you've done a lot of these races with your whole family, including your three children cheering you on in person. So a lot of our listeners are parents and would I'm sure love some tips on involving your kids on the race day experience. So do you have any advice? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really awesome to go to races with kids. In the beginning, you know, as an athlete, you don't want anybody to sap your energy, right? So you really want to go there and just focus. But what I realized is when you're overly focused on your own performance, it's mentally exhausting. <laughs> and you get to the starting line and you're tired. So when you bring your kids along, um, they're really good about just taking you out of the moment. I mean, they're fighting, they're joking about other stuff. There's no way you can get stressed out about what your power is supposed to be or what you're supposed to eat. Um, so we uh, try to pick a lot of races that are kid friendly. Um, so I've done Chattanooga, like I, I can't even tell you how many times I've done the half and the full because they have the aquarium and they have the children's museum and they have the rock climbing wall that the kids could do while you're racing and they can just track you and then come out and say hi as you pass by. So a lot of the races and things that I do, we specifically try to make sure there's activities nearby that would be good for the kids. You also mentioned uh, using race as a way to travel and see different nice areas. And I think you've done races and training camps all over the globe. So do you have a favorite place that you visited for racing or training? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I could put it down to one favorite place. I would say in terms of racing, um, the world championship 70.3 in South Africa was definitely a highlight for the whole family and not necessarily because of my race, but because of the safari we went on afterwards. <laughs> so that was um, an awesome one. Um, I've done swim camps in Thailand and also uh, biking camps in Spain. And that has been um, amazing just in terms of uh, being able to bike where the roads are smooth and the cars are very nice and you're going up mountains and down mountains. It's just, I've never been to an area to bike like that before. So that was really cool. And last year was your first time racing in Kona. Um, you had narrowly missed qualifying a couple of times, then qualified at Ironman Tulsa in 2021. You waited a year while it was postponed like many others, and then finally had that Kona experience for yourself. So what did you think? Was it worth the wait? Did it live up to the hype? You know, for me, it did. And I think because for me, it was a lot more than the actual race. It was the journey to get to the race, which, you know, was was very <laughs> Haley will tell you it went all over the place. I had all these events happen. So I think for me, it was very emotional just to get to the starting line, to think back of all these events and races and personal situations that I had been through to make it to that moment. So I wouldn't have changed anything. It was not the perfect race, but it was the perfect experience. It was so cool for me when I, when we crossed paths, um, you know, on the run, cause I had missed you on the bike and like, I didn't see you. And this is, I mean, I've talked about the race several times on the podcast and how cool it was just to like, just to see so many women on that field and in that course. And then I had missed you on the bike and then I saw you on the run and you looked so good and so focused. And I was like, she got it. 
<laughs> I was so nervous about that when I was in the race. I was like, okay, when I see Haley, I have to be running. She cannot see me walking. <laughs> that is the best motivation when you know your coach could pop out on the race course or really around any corner, but especially when you know that they're working hard in the race too. I feel like it gives it an extra edge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you looked good. You did look good. Um, while you were in Kona, you were actually on a couple pre-race panels, including one that I attended with the Ironman Foundation's Race for Change initiative. So what do you think about Ironman's efforts to support clubs and organizations that are focused on welcoming black athletes to the sport and ultimately increasing participation? I think their goal is fivefold in the next five years. Do, do you feel like they're actively working toward that goal? You know, I do feel like they're actively working towards that goal, and I think it is an amazing initiative, but I think it's just the beginning of kind of what we need to do. I think it's step one. So, you know, when we're talking about increasing diversity in the sport, step one is just to get people to the starting line, which is what we're doing. But if I think about, you know, a business that has 100 employees and they say, you know, we want it to reflect society, we want it 50% women. And so we're going to hire 50 women and those 50 women are all secretaries. Nothing wrong with a secretary. Secretary is awesome. Is that really diversity? You know, um, it would only really be diversity when you start to see CFOs, CEOs, managers, when you start to see the diversity all through the sport. So I think the initiative that they have is amazing. I would like to see it carry through. I would like to see people on boards, more people on boards. I'd like to see more coaches and race directors and more people on the podium and at the world championship race. So it's definitely the beginning of what we need to do. And I'm hoping that this initiative will kind of carry on. And speaking of coaching in the last year, you started coaching triathletes yourself, right? So can you tell us how that started? So that's kind of been an, an accidental um, sort of thing. So I am an emergency physician. I've been working full-time for uh, the past 16 years. And right before Kona, I would say in May before Kona, um, I went on a sabbatical at that point, which I'm kind of thinking now may be a retirement, but I went on a sabbatical and um, I've always loved uh, endurance sports in general. Um, I've always been a geek. I mean, I took Stanford um, sports physiology, nutrition, all this stuff just for my own edification. I've done all kinds of experiments when I was just running. And so I have a large body of knowledge and the overlap between what you know about human physiology that we learn in medicine and that you clinically practice does have a lot um, that you can use in terms of, of coaching athletes how to do it while maintaining your health. And my husband, he's been following me around. And so he's gotten into doing long distance running. He started doing marathons and, and ultras, but he wanted to do it on his own. So I asked him, I said, do you need my help? He said, no, no, I got this. So he got a book and he got a coaching plan and he started following the plan. And I'm watching this guy like get injured, get frustrated, stop running, start running, get injured again, have a race. And it was, it was really hard to watch because, you know, I just wanted him to enjoy the sport and to have a good time. And it was, it was not working out. So finally, when I had more time on my hands, I was like, Hey, I'm taking this over. Like, I don't care. I'm going to coach you. And so I started to, to coach him and he hit his, you know, PR in his 5k at the age of 49. Um, this past weekend, he did a 30 mile race and he did awesome, completely healthy. And so from that, I really just started to get interested. Well, maybe, you know, I can use this to help other people um, and to help them with their journey. So that's really where the interest in coaching has come from. Are you coaching triathletes right now? 
So I have a triathlete that I'm coaching right now and I'm coaching um, my husband still and I'm getting other athletes. Um, I'm interested in triathlon as well as um, running um, at this point. And I've done a lot of like conferences and courses and stuff. And so it's, it's been really fun the last couple of months. Yeah. Are you taking new athletes? Like how should people get in touch with you? Oh, definitely. So I am taking um, new athletes. I have a website that should be up and running by the time this airs. It's uh, www.razorstrong.com and razor is R-A-Y-Z-O-R strong.com. So definitely people can come check me out and see what I have going on. All right. And you mentioned the conferences. I think you, you attended both the Outspoken Summit last October and the Endurance Exchange Conference that was, I think, just earlier this month. Can you tell us about your experience at those conferences? Yeah. So the first one I went to was the Outspoken uh, Conference, and that one was really nice. What I really liked about the conference in general, this was my first time going Um, But what I really liked was this year, they made it more about women in endurance sports. So it wasn't specific to triathlon. And I think that's such a small new area that I think it's very smart to kind of pick up all the other women, um, because most of us um, come from other places, whether it's we used to run marathons and now we do triathlons or we used to be cyclists or or whatever. So there were a lot of gravel cyclists there and women doing other things in endurance sports, which I really uh, love. Um, the focus was really um, the business of endurance sport. And so, you know, me trying to get into this business um, was really interesting to meet people who were doing all sorts of things from putting on races to coaching, to writing books, to doing education, um, to be an athlete. So it was really good. And I think probably one of my favorite parts of the conference was one of their opening panels was about imposter syndrome. And they had all these amazing women kind of talk about their experience with imposter syndrome, which to be honest, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you guys (laughs) if it wasn't for that. Because when you asked me, my my first initial thought was like, I listen to this podcast all the time. They interview professional triathletes and people who've written books. And what can I possibly say? And then I thought about that panel. And I was like, you know what? We all have a story. And we all have a space and we can share it. You were on different spots in our journey and maybe somebody can get inspiration from it. So really it was kind of that that I took out of the conference that, that you know, led me here. So that one was awesome. I will definitely be back. Um, the Endurance Exchange, this was, you know, everybody. So women were, I would say, in the minority um, in this conference, but still a lot of people from the other ones I met at the Endurance Exchange and a lot of good information about coaching, um, uh, different um, scientific sessions, uh, which I found very interesting. And really the contacts, I think that was probably um, the biggest thing about the conference is the people you meet, the numbers you get, um, and all the people there that are willing to help you in your journey. So it sounds like, you know, I think people go back and forth a lot of times with those as a coach or an athlete, just to kind of say like, you know, is this going to be worth, worth my time, right. To go. And it sounds like you found a lot of personal and professional development from them. So that's great to hear. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I would be, I would definitely go back. Yeah. And do you know your race plans for the rest of 2023? Um, So I'm trying to figure them out, but I do have the the two big ones, which is going to be the Ironman Chattanooga 70.3, which is in May. I've 
can't tell you how many times I've done that. Like I said, they have the aquarium and they have the rock wall and the ice cream shop. So we're there. Um, and then the second one is Coeur d'Alene. Um, I've never done that one before. So I will rely on everyone else's advice and <laughs> race experience. I gotcha. Yeah, you're one. in good hands for race experience in that one. <laughs> I'm hoping to be there too. Racing. Oh, that'll be awesome. I'll make sure I'm not walking when I pass you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a three loop run too. I think, oh, if it's, I haven't checked if the course changed from last time, but like, so there's a lot of good times to like, see everyone. It's a, it can't be as hot as last time. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Tansia, I, I would love to give our listeners a little inside scoop about your family's pets, because we love talking about all of our guest pets. And I know that you have a house full. Can you, t- can you tell us about the animals that uh, are in your home? So I have a lot of animals. Um, Just before I went into emergency medicine, I was actually on the path to do um, either veterinary medicine or something else. My major was biology. I went to the islands to study lizards in college. So just to give you a little bit of background, but I have a dog pacer. Um, I have two cats. I have two fire belly toads. Um, I have two turtles and I have new guinea pigs. And it's, oh. it's funny, Haley, I actually thought about you with the guinea pigs because <laughs> so I, afraid. no, my, my best Ironman to date is Ironman Florida. And that was the first time I broke 11 minutes. It was kind of a monumental race for me. But I remember talking to my coach Haley at that time and she was having a, a mouse. Something I screamed. I was on the phone. Was it pre-race? I like saw a mouse while I was on the phone with you and I screamed like, and I think I just hung up on you. Yeah, you hung up. And anyway, I always remember that. So when we got these guinea pigs, they basically look like big rats without tails. And so I was like, oh my gosh, we should name one Haley, but they're boys. Uh, anyway. be a boy. <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah. So that's, that's pets in my household right now. I would have more, but my husband, you know, he has kind of put his foot down that this is enough for right now. <laughs> I'm just impressed that Pacer coexists with all of the, the whole hierarchy of things. I mean, Max, yeah, he's like, he doesn't know what to do with things that are small and he'll just uh, chomp them. So <laughs> the toads would be like, what's this? Oh, whoops. You know, but that's impressive that you can have it all coexisting at home. I love it. He does great. Does great. Well, Tansia, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so good to let our audience get to know you a little bit more. And we're so excited. I'm so excited that you are coaching as well as racing. I think it's uh, great to have you in this space. So we uh, look forward to watching the rest of your 2023 and, and hopefully racing with you at a couple of races. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Huge thank you to Tiancia for coming on the show. I I know I shouldn't say this as a coach, but I definitely learned so much from a lot of my athletes, especially athletes like Tiancia. And I'm so excited to see her step into the coaching space. And um, I know that she's, she's going to have some great success there. It's very cool. Alyssa, I, I have been thinking since we recorded the intro that, you know, if somehow I end up in one of these big money PTO races or, you know, ranked high at the end of the year, you know, I am investing in some shirts with my face on it. And you're going to be wearing those from Maine to Georgia can <laughs> or I have, Georgia to Maine or Georgia to Maine, whichever direction. I don't even care. Can you I have, have your face on front and Cowboy's face on the back? 
Yes, actually, you probably should put cowboy's face in the front because people love cowboy more than me. But um, we can put my face on the back. That might be a better compromise. <laughs> we can put cowboy. I'll put Ramona and Max on there too. Because oh yeah, I mean it's my choice. I'm gonna put whatever I want. <laughs> All right. Well, my fingers are crossed that the PTO rankings just like completely keep every. I feel like things are on the move. I don't know. So I'm hoping you get in those last seven spots and you find yourself on the start line and then. Then we'll get to the hurdle of winning all the money to make this happen. But one step at a time, Haley, one step at a time. I'm just going to have so much money. I don't want to do with it. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to finance an Appalachian Trail FKT. <laughs> I mean, that is a fun problem to have. And designing your shirt is going to be my, my off-season activity for the end of this year. That's my, that's my goal. So thanks for uh, that. Yeah, it's good to, good to dream. Thanks, Haley. Um, all right. Well, thank you again to Tiencia. This has been fun. And Haley, I guess I will talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.